0: Well, last week we kind of went over an overview of psalms, and with 150 psalms, we can't possibly study each one of them. But I made it possible, if you're willing and you would like to, that you can. Uh, There. You can go to the website uh, that I have. It's called a abiblestudy.com. Or if you're on Facebook, you can go to Bruce's Bible Study. Uh, and each day I am posting uh, my morning studies of Psalm from 1 to 150 and it'll take a while. Some days I might not feel good and might not post it but they'll be there. If you don't have internet access I'd be happy to download those for you or or send them to you digitally but you gotta let me know and uh, I mean that. Just, Just tell me I would like copies of the psalms in its entirety and I may finish that maybe this summer I don't know but that's my aim is for those of you since we can't do a chapter by chapter study uh for those of you who would like to do that for your morning studies or your uh teaching others that's available uh, as we go through our uh, review I wanted to see first of all if you all had any questions as I rush through our introduction I'm going to sum up in a few slides what I talked about and hopefully that'll clear your mind so if there are no questions the purposes of Psalms and I said I'm going to approach this as a way to encourage us To be like psalmists, giving God richer, more intimate, more thought-out praise, communicate with Him as our Father, as Abba, Daddy, Pop, however you call your Father, that's how intimate we ought to be with God. But the Psalms teach us moral principles. It teaches us about the bad and the good, and it begins in chapter 1, talking about the godly and the ungodly. The benefits of those, and it continues on through uh, psalm. It is also a book of praise of God. And many of us have our favorite psalm. We like psalm 23 or psalm 100 or psalm 43 or 19, and we can name our favorite psalm. But in each psalm, there is a valuable lesson that needs to be understood. We talked last week about this compilation of psalms, is actually five books, which we're going to look at in just a little bit. Uh, but it it uh, is the history of God's children from the beginning to when the remnant came back. It covers, talks about Genesis, it talks about the creation, it talks about the wanderings in the wilderness, it talks about the covenant with Abraham, it talks about many things. 1100 years of writing. Praise to God and devotion and historical remembrance, which we're gonna talk about tonight. We're gonna look at the historical roots that are found in Psalm of God's children. Uh, But this history is also dealing with God's relationship with man and man's relationship with God. How was that? Was it pretty steady? Turbulent. Turbulent. It was turbulent. One day everything's fine, the next day it's bad. One day God is so good and the next day he's trying to kill us. is that how we feel sometime Sometimes we may have a different opinion of God and how he's reacting with us and this helps us to understand that if that's so we're not the only ones going through this that's what I love about the Bible I can find myself in many books depending on how I feel that day whether I'm praising God or saying why are you Doing this to me, why is my neighbor here uh, doing evil all day long? And he's got a nice car and this and that. Man's relationship with God and God's relationship to man. Which one was more just? Well, that's an easy question, isn't it? (laughs) As a father... Did you ever get mad at your father because he disciplined you, but you knew you needed it? Yeah, we do. Confession, sorrow for sin. We're going to look at a couple of uh, psalms later on in in the lesson tonight uh, where there was great sin going on. And a lot of these things, uh, a lot of these psalms that we'll read during the class, we're going to remember when Leland uh, taught us, about the davidic uh, time period we're going to remember the wanderings uh... in exodus we're going to remember all the things that went before and gain valuable insight that was used later on in their worship during this period they worship god we sing psalm nineteen we sing other psalms desert of sorrow and sin where we Talk about the wanderings in the, in the desert. And confessions. Sorrow, being sorry for our sins. And when you read Psalms, you read in those things that their confession was deep and heartfelt. Prophetic. Even though the book of Psalms is not a historical book, it's full of history. Even though it's not a book of prophecy, it has prophecy. Messianic prophecy. We're going to look at that later on in, in a few classes away. And then offering thanks to God in prayer. Do we really portray our emotions our heartfelt emotions when we pray for thanksgiving or inside our heart do we just say thanks god i I really needed that thanks god i deserve that or just a quick thank you do you ever tell him that specific things you asked for and he gave to you how benefited we are from that how gracious he has been to us and to give us those things that are good. And it also, uh, I'm going I'm to blame uh, Carrie for my excuse here, but my printer just went ahead and typed in 679 there on number 7. <laughs> but it expresses the pain of human affliction. What sort of affliction did the children of Israel experience And you all can talk. Well, God brought judgment on them. God brought judgment on them for what? For for their sin, and He brought uh, nations in, and uh, they oppressed them, and did all sorts of things. That's right. He withheld water from them, withheld lots of things from them, but He gave them lots of things too. He gave them lots of problems where they were digging holes and hiding in. Uh, I'd call them foxholes or caves uh, from people who oppressed them. They were afraid to go out. And so we see the sorrow that they experienced in captivity, through the wanderings in the desert, through wars, and through sin. How about meditation? Do you ever read the book of Psalms? And after you read it, just sit and meditate upon what was going on, why it was being said, and even how, how it was said. Meditation is important for us to learn. Meditation is important for us to understand the fullness of God's Word because we think about what the writer has said and sometimes we may go get another translation uh, which may express it better sometime we may ask our brother or sister what does this mean what what did he uh, imply here or what is what is written for me to understand and then finally it shows uh, God's wrath being invoked upon rebellious sinners And they're asking for his protection. Did that ever happen? Did they desert God and then wonder where he was? Why he was not near anymore? Why they weren't benefiting from his love and mercy? Any questions on the purposes of our study? Okay. You're going to have an easy night, Michael. Well, we said who wrote the Psalms and when? There are several authors, Moses, David, Solomon, Asaph, the sons of Korah, and there are others that are unknown. Some we just don't know who wrote those Psalms. People have guess, uh, have a guess as to who may have written them because of the content, but we really don't know. And we said it was written from around uh, 1500 to 400 B.C. Now. I mentioned last week that Psalms is sometimes called the Torah by the Hebrew people because it contains the five books of the Pentateuch. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers. That's five books. So the Genesis section, Psalms 1 through 41, want we'll to put a paper clip on that, a big paper clip on those, you could say, okay, that's book one. What's it talking about? Issues related to mankind, dealing with enemies, people hurting us, <coughs> being in need, being in uh, sorrow. And then book two, Psalm 42 through 72, is the Exodus session. And what do you think it talks about? Deliverance, redemption, national ruin. What happened to them in the desert? Did they face national ruin ever as a nation, as a people? What did God say when he just got so upset and he told Moses what? I'm going to wipe you out. That's national ruin. God says, I'm going to choose somebody else. I'm going to pick somebody else to be my people if you can't do what you need to do. Were they redeemed? Were God's people ever redeemed? Well, sure they were. When they turned back to God, when they did His will, When they obeyed his commandments, they experienced redemption and deliverance. Remember the remnant, uh, which is later on. Book 3, Psalm 73 through 89 is the Leviticus uh, section. focused on uh, the house of sanctuary and worship. Going back here in these first three books is before they went into captivity, Babylonian captivity. And it talks about God's house talks about worship and how God is to be worshipped. And then book four, Psalms 90 to 106 is the Numbers section. It explores issues of peril, protection, and wandering. And these two books are post-captivity, when the remnant came back. And you remember there was a lot wrong when they came back. They had married foreign wives. The Levites had done a horrible job of maintaining God's order and his law and then book five is the Deuteronomy section praising God and his word uh, we put up a slide last week that showed in the beginning before captivity there was a large number of laments and few praise and by the time you get over here to when they came out of Babylonian captivity there was much praise and very few lament psalms Uh, As we noted last week before the Babylonian exile, after the return to Jerusalem, and we said that each psalm ends, or each book ends, with a doxology. And we said a doxology is praise to God. Can you think of any deeper meaning for doxology? What else is in praise? thanksgiving. Why do we praise someone? Because we're thankful for what they've done. You had a good sermon. Thank you. I praise you because I needed that. You've done something for someone, and certainly God has done much, and in our praise and in our doxology, certainly there's to be praise, but also thanksgiving that he cares for us, that he loves us, that he doesn't always give us what we ask for. And I thank God every day for that. All right. And then here's that slide, and you can notice the difference in the different books, the decrease of laments as time goes on uh, to the increase in uh, praises. All right. Are there any questions on last week's lesson? questions. rain's lulling you to sleep. Do you have the cattle prod back there, Michael? You might have to shock people. All right. Tonight we're going to look at uh, Israel's, or the Psalms' historical roots, and uh, we look at history, and it's impossible uh, to interpret the Psalms without knowing the previous history, Before captivity, going back to the creation and going forward to the remnant coming back. Uh, It's a record of man's creation, the promises that God made to Abraham, the continuing fulfillment of that, and it's also uh, the promise of Christ, the Messiah, coming. Now, can, can you all see that? Anybody who cannot see that, read that? Just to to go over this, here are the events mentioned in the book of Psalms. The creation of man is mentioned in Psalms 104. The flood in uh, Psalm 29. The covenant of Abraham, chapter 105. And again, if you need copies of these slides or my notes, please let me know. We also see Joseph's imprisonment, his deliverance, the famine in Egypt, Israel's bondage in Egypt, the plagues on Egypt, deliverance from Egypt, the Red Sea divided, wilderness journey, water from the smitten rock, manna and quail given, Call to worship at Horeb, inheritance of the promised land, and and Israel's disloyalty in the land. That, in a nutshell, in a a slide, is pretty much the history of of the children of Israel up to the time of David, isn't it? And it's all recorded in there. And last week we talked about not only did uh, the Jewish uh, people use the psalm uh, for their singing, but they also used it for instruction, to go back to these things and and, uh, demonstrate their failure with God and God's goodness to them despite that. So uh, as we continue uh, to look at this, we're going to see uh, key individuals who are mentioned. We're going to see people like Abraham and Melchizedek, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Lot, and you can read them all. Psalms is instructive, and it was used to instruct the people In God's way when they were falling, when they had gotten away from God. It's a wonderful, wonderful book of history, but it's also a wonderful book of repetitious instruction, and I hope you've benefited so far from our Wednesday night classes on uh, Solomon, or Samuel, uh, and David, and going back uh, even further as the children of Israel began to be uh, inhabit the promised land, they made lots of mistakes. They lost a lot of faith, but they rebounded. And throughout this period, these these psalms were used to instruct them and to remind them. And that's why we need reminding too. All right. Any comments or questions on historical characters? All right. Some locations you'll see, as we're going to read in in just a little while. Mount Zion, Mount Sinai, Mount Hermon. What's the importance of those mountains? How about Mount Zion? When you see Mount Zion, what does that refer to, or what does that draw us closer to? Who? God. To God. And the coming Christ. The writer of Hebrews talks about we have come to Mount Zion. How did we do that? How did we come to Mount Zion? Through Jesus Christ, through the blood of Christ. Mount Sinai, what's it known for? The law smoky, quakey, loud, God was there. What about Mount Hermon? What do you remember about Mount Hermon? This is a quiz for all the teachers past three quarters. What happened at Mount Hermon? Were there battles fought at Mount Hermon? somebody come to Mount Hermon? Who did? What do you know? Okay, I'll let you think about that. And you can can report that in a five-page essay. All right. Provinces like Judah, Naphtali, Benjamin, Zebulun, and then enemies, Recognize these enemies, Moabites, Philistines, the Edomites, Amalek, Tyre, Sidon. We read a lot of those in the book of Psalm. And it's important for us to understand these things from their standpoint. They remembered. Their history had been passed down. It was in the text that they had that Ezra read to them as they worked on the wall we're going to see events that are mentioned in psalms creation exodus sinai the wilderness wandering the conquest the davidic reign the exile and and uh, their return and when we look at these understanding these messages what can we learn from creation did you ever think about that did you ever read first three chapters of Genesis, and say, well, well, God put everything in order. Yes, God waited until everything was right and He put man on the earth. Yes. What else do you get out of the book of creation? The goodness of God. The goodness of God. God said it was good. Everything that He created was good, and He gave man. Food, and water, and a job, clothing. What else? What do you see about God in creation and his relationship to man? Loving. God. Huh? Loving, God. Loving. He wants man to succeed. He wants his creation to do well, doesn't he? If your child had just done something that you told them absolutely you cannot do, and if you do, I'm going to punish you like you've never been punished before, and they will go ahead and do it. How quick would you get over being mad? How quick would you... Quit being suspicious of that child when you told them not to do so. When did God? What did God say shortly after they, after He pronounced the punishment, pronounced the remedy, didn't He? That Jesus would come, bruise His heel, bruise His head. Satan wasn't going to win this this match. He tried, and he kept trying, but he didn't. And so when we look at creation, there's so much that we can look at to be thankful for, to have hope for. Because his universe is to be involved in making him the center of it and the center of our lives. How about uh, the exodus from uh, Egypt? What do we learn about God? From the Exodus, from Egypt. He keeps his word. He keeps his word. He kept his word to Abraham. And he kept his word to those people, even though they didn't think he did during the wilderness wanderings. What do you see about man's relationship to God? They often turn away. Hmm? They often turned away. Why? What attracted them? number of things, sin, idolatry. Idolatry. And I always go first to melons, cucumbers, onions, and garlic. Ah, oh, that's my favorite. That's why I'm standing up here away from you all. <laughs> the earthly things. The things that don't mean a, a hill of beans. That's what took them away from God, and and we point the finger at them. But what takes us away from God? Is it even less? Sometimes it is. But the Exodus also teaches us that man has been given free will by the Creator, and he often exercises it foolishly because he puts his thoughts in himself. What does the book of Proverbs say about that? It's not a wise move, is it? It's not a wise move. Mount Sinai uh, was uh, is mentioned in Psalm sixty-eight, and uh, Psalms seventy-eight and seventy-nine uh, show uh, Sinai negative things happened at Mount Sinai. Children went into idolatry. Aaron lied. People made me do it. You Remember Flip Wilson who always said the devil made me do it? <laughs> the devil doesn't make you do anything. He just entices you. The wilderness wandering and the conquest, uh, it's one of the most frequently mentioned uh, period in the Psalms. And so this conquest, coming back, uh, the land which was their promise You remember what Nehemiah did when he heard about the condition of Jerusalem? He wept, wept bitterly because the city of kings was destroyed along with the temple. And so uh, when we look at all of these things, including the Davidic reign of David, God's shepherd king is an important historical focus in Psalms. Their exile and return was wonderful, but it also served to initiate a reformation, a change, that when they came back, they had to give up their foreign wives. Wives they'd married, and they bore children who couldn't even understand the language of their fathers, and it must have been a confusing time for them, and God said it is a land of confusion. Because the Levites had profaned his altars. They had not given back to God as they should have. And this expression of despair in Babylon created a physical uh, pattern of the condition of sinful mankind in general. How are we captives? How do we become captives? Sometimes we willingly enter into captivity, don't we? Here I am take me. Well, we do it by being enamored or captivated by the lust, by the pleasure, by the desire of things that are sinful. Lust of the eye, the pride of life, lust of the flesh. And we're taken captive. We're no longer near and free in Jesus' We're captives of sin and captives of Satan. I want to just show uh, here in the time we have left, if you'll turn to Psalms uh, 106. Psalm 106. This will give you an idea of how they felt in captivity. Psalm 106, and I'm, we're not going to read all of that, but we're going to, I'm going to pick and choose some things. Praise the Lord. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he's good, for his mercy is everlasting. Who can speak of the mighty deeds of the Lord or proclaim all his praise? How blessed are those who maintain justice, who practice righteousness at all times. Remember me, Lord, in your favor toward your people. Visit me with your salvation so that I may see the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the joy of your nation, that I may boast with your inheritance. We have sinned like our fathers. We have gone astray. We behave wickedly. Our fathers in Egypt didn't understand your wonders. They did not remember your abundant kindnesses, but rebelled by the sea at the Red Sea, Nevertheless, he saved them for the sake of his name, so that he may make his power known. He rebuked the Red Sea, and it dried up, and he led them through the mighty waters as through the wilderness. So he saved them from the hand of one who hated them and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. The waters covered their adversaries, and not one of them was left. Then they believed his words they sang his praise. Later on in verse 16, when they became envious of Moses in the camp and of Aaron, the Holy One of the Lord, the earth swallowed, opened up and swallowed up Dathan, and engulfed the company of Abiram and a fire blazed up in their company. The flame consumed the wicked. They made a calf in Horeb and worshiped a cast metal image, so they exchanged their glory For the image of an ox that eats grass. Have we read something about that that sounds similar maybe last week or the week before in Romans? Talking about man who exchanged the glory of God for bugs, animals, creatures. They forgot God their Savior, verse twenty five or twenty one who had done great things in Egypt, wonders in the land of Ham, and and awesome things by the Red Sea. Listen to the latter part of verse 23. If Moses, his chosen one, had not stood in the gap before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Have we talked about that tonight? God was going to make a new people. These evidently were hard-headed people. They couldn't understand what they were supposed to do. On down in verse 28, they also followed Baal Peor and ate sacrifices offered to the dead. So they provoked him to anger with their deeds, and a plague broke out among them. Then Phinehas stood up and intervened. So the plague was brought to a halt, and it was credited to him as righteousness. We talked about Phinehas. They also provoked him to wrath at the waters of Meribah, so that it went badly for Moses on their account, because they were rebellious against his spirit. He spoke rashly with his lips. They did not destroy the peoples as the Lord had commanded them. Who do you think that's talking about? A variety of people. Isn't it? Talk about Saul. We could talk about others, but here is talking about those in the wilderness. They got involved with nations and they learned their practices. Give us a king. (coughs) We want to worship this idol. And they served their idols, verse 36, and shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters. How? Through Molech. Willingly sacrificed. Therefore the anger of the Lord, verse 40, was kindled against his people and he loathed his inheritance. So handed them over to the nations, and those who hated them rule over them. Their nation oppressed them, and they sank down, the latter part of verse 43, into their guilt. What do you think about that? It's pretty depressing, isn't it? It's a recounting of what their fathers had done against God's goodness. Now let's go to Psalm 107. Here it begins the same way as Psalm 106. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy is everlasting. The redeemed of the Lord shall say, Those whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered from the lands from the east and from the west and from the north and the south, they wandered in the wilderness in a desert region. They didn't find a way to an inhabited city. They were hungry and thirsty. Their souls felt weak within them, and then they cried out to the Lord in trouble. And what happened? He saved them from their distresses. He also had them walk on a straight way. Now let's go down to verse 30. There were those who lived in darkness and in the shadow of death, prisoners in misery and chains because they had rebelled against the word of God and rejected the plan of the Most High. Therefore, he humbled their heart with labor. They stumbled and there was no one to help. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. What happened? He saved them from their distresses. He brought them out of darkness in the shadow of death and broke their bands apart. They shall give thanks to the Lord for his mercy. Verse 17, fools because of their rebellious ways. And because of their guilty deeds were afflicted. Their souls loathed all kinds of food. Remember the manna? Remember the quail? They came close to the gates of death. What did they do? Then they cried out unto the Lord in their trouble. What happened? He saved them from their distress. And you can repeat this with me if you like. I I don't like silence. Those who go down to the sea in ships, verse 23, who do business on great waters, they have seen the works of the Lord and the wonders in the deep. For he spoke and raised the mighty wind which lifted the waves of the sea. They rose up to the heavens and went down to the depths. Their soul melted away in their misery. They reeled and staggered like a drunken person and were at their wit's end. What did they do? Let's say it together. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. Okay, a few of you. And what happened? And you can all say it with me. And he brought them out of their distresses. Verse 33. He turns rivers into a wilderness and springs of water into thirsty ground and a fruitful land into a salt waste because of the wickedness of those who dwell in it. He turns a wilderness into a pool of water, and dry land into springs of water. Going down to verse 39, when they became few and lowly because of oppression, (coughs) misery, and sorrow, he pours contempt upon noblemen and makes them wander in a pathless wasteland, but he sets the needy securely on high away from affliction and makes his families like a flock. The upright sees it and are glad, but all injustice shuts its mouth. Who is wise? He is to pay attention to these things and consider the mercy of the Lord. How would you contrast those two psalms? One shows a people who are what? Disobedient, rebellious. Disobedient and rebellious against God. And all kinds of trials and troubles come upon them. What about chapter one hundred seven? Who are these people? These people have what? A tender heart. When they called on God. When they finally realized God was their only hope, they cried unto God, and God did what? Say it together. Who's that? Yeah. He heard them, and he delivered them from their distress. The same God that we worship. The same God we're studying about tonight is ready to do that for us, isn't he? But what do we have to do? We have to turn to him. What does that involve? What does turning to God involve? Just going and say, God, oh, they're after me. Oh, the tax people are coming. I just, I thought it would be a good idea. Help me, help me, help me. What do we need to do? Be obedient. First we need to humble ourselves, don't we? We need to humble ourselves and admit to God, confess to God, I'm weak and I sinned. And it hurts. And I tell you what, if it hurts enough, we should be weeping. That we have grieved the Holy Spirit. That we have grieved Christ. And that we've grieved our Father in heaven. And then we need to confess that sin and repent of it and say, I'm not going back there again, God, and I need your help to do that. And then what will God do? God will deliver us. Let's say let's everybody say, God will deliver us from our iniquities and our troubles. Well, you've been a semi-good class tonight. I appreciate you. And you know I love you, everyone. And as I always say, there's nothing you can do about it. So thank you for your attention and thank you for your comments tonight.